0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Um, I know that living in the Lewis-Clark Valley, where we don't have winter, we just watch winter happen around us. This is not good Glad Mary news, but there's a chance of flurries. Did you hear it? chance of flurries. I put it on the sign out there, there's a chance of flurries, but honestly, um, you can take a deep breath. I'm not talking about snow. So those of you who are thinking about chaining up on your drive, yeah, that, yeah. the LC version of amen is clapping that uh, it's going to be warm, Right. Uh, There's a chance of flurries of a different kind. I I think of of snow flurries, I think, probably the way you do. When it's not really snowing, it's just trying to, and you can count like three flakes sort of doing this to the earth. That's what I've always called flurries. I looked up the word this week. That's not what a flurry is. A flurry is a a fairly consistent uh, or a fairly significant amount of snow or leaves, didn't know that, um, driven by circular winds that are kind of unpleasant, but there 's something more to a flurry than this okay? as as we dig into the scripture today you 're going to hear about a flurry of holy Spirit activity. kind of The, the former definition is what we 've been looking at over over the last few weeks as we 've been studying the person and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, it, this fall we, we started in that first chapter of Genesis where where the Holy Spirit kind of pops up for the first time and we see him partnering with God the Father and with Jesus in, in creating this world and whatever it is that the Father and Son had done, the Spirit kind of took custody of this world and, and like a, a mother hen brooding over her eggs, she, he went to work and out of this chaotic void, he brought order and life. And what he did for creation... He'll do for you if you invite him in, listen for his voice, and submit to his ways. We then uh, moved later in Genesis and we learned about this guy named Joseph who was significantly different than anybody else and the most powerful man on the planet at the time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, recognized it. And what was it that he saw in this guy that was so different that it made him say, I think that guy is full of the spirit of the Holy God? It was that He had spiritual insight and next steps kind of wisdom. He knew what to do and what not to do because God, the Holy Spirit, gave him that kind of understanding. It was incredible as we worked our way through the, the rest of the Old Testament. We, we kind of took it not in chronological or historical order, but here's, here's a new word for you, canonical order. It means in, just in the order that the books in the Bible are, are, are put together. So we've just kind of been walking through the Old Testament that way. And uh, really kind of the, the last appearance of the Holy Spirit before we cross into the, the New Testament, the, that Christian part, uh, distinctly Christian part of the Bible compared to the Jewish Old Testament. The last appearance was really uh, a handful of appearances through prophets. You remember when we talked about the prophets? I mean, there's weird, and then there's Old Testament prophet weird, the kinds of things that they did that we couldn't always tell whether they were, they were done by, uh, by a an, an powerful act of the Holy Spirit or by a defect of character. Weird, weird. Weird guys. Read the Old Testament, look for the weird, and if you find weird, it's probably a prophet. But that was this much of, of the prophet's person and work. Really, the work of the prophet, who was filled with God's Holy Spirit, was to speak to the people. And he would speak and define sin very specifically and very pointedly. And sometimes used that definition rather like a club or a whip because God's people who'd promised to be faithful to Him had turned their backs on God and were walking away and and in the process of walking away from God, engaging in things that would destroy them, their nation, and their neighbors. And because God is merciful and kind, not because he was mad, because God is merciful and kind, he would do his very best to try to stop his people in their tracks, and he would bring discipline. And so the prophets would speak words of warning. Hey, I can predict the future. If you keep doing that, there's going to be trouble that comes your way, partly as a natural consequence, partly because God says, this far and no farther. They also predicted the the future coming of one who would step from God into the middle of the human race, the grand fixer, the Messiah, who would come and do what the people just couldn't seem to do on their own. Strange thing. It's a, good, it's a great message, but the people of God almost never heeded the message. Instead, they'd persecute the prophets. Many times, they'd put them to death. And so, God, who, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, can be grieved uh, because he takes relationship, real relationship, really personally and seriously, uh, if you constantly push God away, he'll go away. If you constantly are drawing close to God, he'll draw close to you. But he takes it as serious when we push away from him. And so when his people had pushed away from him and pushed away from him and pushed away from him for century upon century upon century, he finally said, oh, I get it. You don't want me. And the people said, Right. And they began to worship other gods instead of him, or sometimes alongside him, but usually those other gods became much more popular in, uh, in, in folk religion. And, and it was just kind of a, you know, a nodding assent to the God that they used to follow. And, and they got all uh, taken with and by these other gods. And so our God said, Okay. You want them? You can have them. I'll just be over here silently waiting. How many of you have ever been in a relationship where the other person was putting some distance between you and them and after a while you said, I guess I'm just going to have to wait? Tom Petty passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, one thing that he wrote should have been included in Scripture. The waiting is the hardest part. God waited. God waited four hundred years. Four hundred years. In the meantime, he had done some things prior to that 400-year start, that, that business of trying to stop Israel in their tracks. When they, when they pushed away from him and they, they held on to their other gods, he said, great, go where they take you. And they took their civilization down the path of disintegration and decay and ultimately defeat. And neighboring nations came in and conquered them. And that is not as antiseptic as it sounds. We do warfare from millions of miles away now with a touch of buttons, and warfare in that day happened right at the end of your hand with a stick sharpened, and they butchered the people of God. Um, the vast majority of the nation of Israel was, was killed or taken from the land, not as prisoners of war as in, hey, maybe we could, we, we've got some leverage to deal with you, because there was nobody left to deal with. Instead, the best and the brightest were, were taken, and they were going to be quite frankly, used as breeding stock and worked into the culture and the society of their captors. Feel the weight of the word genocide because that was the intent of the enemies. God, however, here's a little uh, life lesson. Hang on to this. God always has a remnant He's not going to let his people, his kingdom, or his word disappear. It's just not going to happen. And so he had a remnant, some of them that he preserved for himself among those foreign people, some that he preserved for himself in their native land. And when he brought those folks back home to join the ones in the native land, it seemed that one thing, one important thing had taken place, that they had gotten over their love of other gods. So, by the time they come back to Israel after the exile, they put away the business of following other gods permanently. It worked. Except for this one thing. While they no longer had a love for those other gods, neither did they have a love for the one true God. Their hearts had grown hard, stony, and cold toward him. And that's the condition of the people and of the relationship between the people and God during that 400 years that I mentioned where they weren't really interested in hearing from God and God knew it, so God stepped over here and waited. But feel it for 400 years, twice as long as our country's been around. You're uncomfortable when I get silent for like 10 seconds up here. 400 years. And then, all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, when when the people of God had started using the language of divorce, maybe God divorced us, when they started using the language of despair, maybe maybe he's forgotten us and is never coming back. Seemingly out of nowhere, there was a flurry, properly so-called of Holy Spirit activity in and among his people, it was identifiable and eventually undeniable. Listen to this. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, you get to verse 15. There's this angel that shows up. Pretty uh, significant, uh, out-of-the-ordinary kind of happening when God has not been speaking to his people, has been mutually giving the stiff arm with them, that he sends an angel and the angel approaches this woman named Elizabeth who has cried buckets of tears because she had From the time she was a young woman, wanted a child and had never been able to have one. And now was at an age in life where physically it just could not happen. And yet, the angel of God shows up and says, miracle time! And says, oh, by the way, uh, as if having a baby won't be wonderful and miraculous enough, this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he ever exits your womb Try sharing that with the neighbors. Not a lot of them will believe you. You work your way a little farther down in that chapter to verse 41, and this, this Elizabeth is uh, pregnant. The neighbors are talking. Isn't she kind of old? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. You ought to hear what she says about the kid. It's <laughs> like it was a miracle. We know that happens. He's filled with the... Nobody's filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the uh, time of her pregnancy, another angel had showed up and talked with another woman who'd never had a child, this one too young to have a child, wasn't supposed to be having any kids yet, and says, you too are going to be pregnant, and this time it's going, instead of it being mechanical, instead of it being biological, this will happen somehow by the spirit of the living God coming upon you, and miraculously, you will be with child. Well, this girl, uh, that's not a real popular story to tell the neighbors either, because the neighbors don't believe it. They question your character and your sanity, mind you. So she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and as soon as she shows she, Mary, shows up on the scene, Elizabeth, carrying the Holy Spirit-filled baby, steps out the door, sees her. Baby inside her goes a little uh, nuts over... Holy Spirit kind of connection, and amazed by all of this, Elizabeth positions herself before the Lord in faith and is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what chapter 1, verse 41 says. Now skip on down to verse 67. Elizabeth had a husband. His name was Zechariah. Zechariah was also kind of the laughing stock of the community because, you know, the same old tired story that, about miracle baby and all of that. But this time an angel of the Lord shows up as well and tells him he has to wait uh, with, a, with a slight little penalty. God says, since you laughed at me, how about this? How about you can't talk till the baby's born? Give you a little while to think about it. Baby's born. Zechariah comes out and says, we should name that boy whatever the angel says. angel said, John, and uh, it did. It. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing. Each one of these people, Mary, uh, Elizabeth, and Zechariah, when filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, they start praising. And you can read the, 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 the song, the, 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 some would say Prophecy that came out of their mouths. Remember a couple of weeks ago we worked with those words that sometimes mean prophecy and sometimes mean worship, sometimes you can't tell the difference? That's what these these three were doing. You flip on over to chapter two, and you're, you're going to get outside the family of Jesus and of John the Baptist. And there's this weird guy. His name is Simeon. Simeon is an old, old, old man. We get the idea from the text that he's he's a lot older, like maybe like the oldest guy in the country, like old enough that people said, you know, there's old, and then there's old, old, and then there's that guy, you know, well past the average lifespan of an Israeli in his day. He's old. And Simeon, different than anybody else, other than this flurry we've seen over here, all of his life long, not just over these last few months, all of his life long, people have looked at him and said, the Spirit of God's on him. They didn't use the word in, don't know why. Said so the Spirit of God is on him, and Simeon said, we talk. The Holy Spirit and I have conversations, and the Spirit made it clear to me that I get to live until that promised grand fixer, that Messiah that was prophesied long ago, uh, is born and shows up here in the temple. So he gets up in the morning each day and stretches his old tired bones and makes his way to the temple to see nobody and nothing. Year after year, decade after decade, until one day when... Jesus is brought there to be dedicated. He sees him, and this man on whom the Spirit of God rested erupts with worship and praise. So see so you get the picture. We've got we've got the Holy Spirit active in creation. We've got him showing up once in a great while generations of people, let's say, would would go by before the Holy Spirit shows up again and and is so noticeably active in guys like Joseph and guys like Daniel and and then real weirdos like Samson and some of the judges and then the, the prophets who would come and say things that people never wanted to hear from God in the first place. And his people said, basically, hey, you know, we haven't enjoyed the Holy Spirit that much when he shows up, why don't you leave us alone? God said, okay. For four hundred years, they lived with the consequences of their decision, and then this flurry i mean real flurry, like lots of showing up times of the of the spirit he just he keeps showing up among people that they shouldn't show up with because people thought that the Holy Spirit should show up you know to help priests do their job and help kings do their jobs, and well, maybe the prophets will tolerate them a little bit but but not you know uh, ladies who couldn't have babies and ladies who shouldn't have babies and and their husbands and and old guys that we've always suspected were half crazy. Why, why, why this flurry, this this, this significant amount, driven it seems by the, by the very breath of God? Why this flurry of Holy Spirit appearances and activity? Why? The answer is because God himself had decided that he was going to bring about a whole new age or era, the era, the transformative era of the work of the Messiah. God himself had decided it's time and it's going to happen. And he decided to usher in that period by a flurry, a significant mass of happenings, of occurrences of the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, Jesus came into this world. He did the work that that Christians have talked about in churches like this one ever since. The prophets, by the way, long before, had said, "Uh, time, history, it'll fall neatly into two sections. The former days, which are the days before the Messiah came, the days that illustrated why Messiah is needed, And then the time when he comes and begins to work his effect in this world and everything that follows from his coming into this world was referred to in the Old Testament prophets as the last days or the latter days. Why this flurry of Holy Spirit activity? Because God himself had seen over time this great need for some sort of divine intervention. God actually getting human flesh on and invading the human race from the God side and from the human side at the same time. And he wasn't going to just slip into the human race without being noticed because notice being noticed was the whole point. The people had been conveniently not noticing God for millennia. And so he said, here's a a handful of significant uh, appearances of God's Holy Spirit doing incredible work that will help you come to understand that it's a whole new day now. And what he did for Israel, he will do for you if you invite him in and you listen for his voice And you surrender to his ways. Let's talk about this age of Messiah for just a little bit. God intended to come in and significantly change the way that that humans and, and human societies work. And hasn't it been fantastic? I mean, now government works great! And social media! Awesome! Think of all the peace and love and the good that floods our world through social media in the age of the Messiah. And, and no more wars. I mean, we haven't have wars for a long time. Hmm. Why isn't this working? See? An, an age... An era, it can't change unless the people do. There is no such thing as an age or an era. It's just how we humans mark the passing of time, and we usually mark the passing of time by significant changes and God can't change an era because it doesn't really exist. There can't be any new day unless there are new people who usher in a new day by living in new ways by the power of God's Holy Spirit. The whole point of this flurry of activities was that Israel, the people of Israel, would hear and notice the working of God and step into the 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 flow of the work of God, joining his Holy Spirit in allowing him to transform them from the inside out, from the inside out, not the other way, from the inside out so that what happened in their hearts would eventually make its way out through their fingertips and through their lips and through the looks on their faces. And it showed up like love for neighbor. It showed up like laying down your swords instead of picking them up. And it would show up in the form of a relationship between God and people that didn't grow cold. Because God, instead of being above or beyond or with people, would be in people. You know what's better than God with you? God in you. Flurry of activity. It was about a whole new way that God wanted to do relationship with people. Instead of changing an age, he wanted to change people who change the world over time. And what he did for Israel, he'll do for you, but it will work if you invite him in and listen for his voice and surrender to his ways. See. The Holy Spirit is not um, a handy little add-on to your religion. He will absolutely refuse to be a handy little add-on to your religion. Remember that 400-year period of silence where God said, I know what you really want, and I'll give it to you? Listen, the worst news in the whole Bible is found in Psalm 37, 4, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's the worst news in the whole Bible because your heart many times wants things that are destructive to it and to others. And so when you your lips can say all you want about being religious and wanting God, but if your heart doesn't, God reads your heart, and he says, I'll give you what you want. But it's also the very best news in the Bible because God changes people's hearts. And when people's hearts just begin that turn, just begin that turn to look toward him. God takes that very seriously, and he comes rushing toward us. Remember, we worked on that a couple of weeks ago, how when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, how the Holy Spirit came upon David, he didn't nonchalantly make his way. He didn't set an appointment for three weeks from then. He rushed upon them, eagerly coming and throwing his arms around him. The heart of God responds to the hearts of humans that just begin to look. All it takes is a little bit of a turn, and the Holy Spirit of God will come rushing toward you and wrap you up, and he will fill you and change you from the inside out. But it takes sincerity of heart. I've heard preachers say it, and I have said it. God, forgive me. That why don't you just try God on for size? He doesn't do trial fittings. i got to tell you, he just doesn't. I've changed my mind. He doesn't do trial fittings anymore. He doesn't monkey around with people who want to monkey around with religion. Instead, he looks for people whose hearts say, I'm sick of what I've had, which is emptiness and pollution and a whole lot of me. And what I want is God to come and fill me and change me into the person that he dreamed I'd be when he dreamed me into existence long ago. And every person who genuinely seeks him will receive him. He's looking to bring about a whole new era in your life, one in which you get tight, close relationship with him on the inside, and it begins to work its way to the outside so that your actions become significantly different than they were before. And it's totally believable because people who see your actions and knew the old you notice there's also a new you, a new you that that is living in different ways toward them. In our tradition, in the church of the Nazarene, we talk about this as holiness. That human beings who are... are, Okay, the hands of all the people who recognize, people are a mess. Help me out here, right? I mean, and and by people, I mean you, right? And me, right? People who will honestly say, I'm a little bit of a wreck. Yeah. Yeah. The Spirit of God, remember week one? Likes to bring life where before there was only death. And he likes to bring order where before there was chaos. He he will come in and make a whole new you that begins to manifest out through your actions and your words and your attitudes as love for other people. Jesus said it's it's one litmus test, right? It's the one litmus test of Christianity. The world will know you are my disciples because you... You don't know the answer to this? Because you love one another. Primary work of God's Holy Spirit, the way you can tell that he's purifying the human heart is that suddenly you become sweeter, gooder, betterer, nicer, holier than you used to be. It's not about you being holier than your neighbors. It's about you being holier than you used to be. The work of God in your heart will change you from whom you, from who you used to be into the you that God dreamed you could be when he dreamed you into existence. Here's what it will take. It will take a flurry of Holy Spirit activity and a flurry of invitations and surrenders from you. Did you get that? It's going to take a flurry of activity on the Holy Spirit's part. And I would suggest that when we pray in just a few moments, that you just kind of reflect on the last few weeks and months of your life and see if you can't uh, have an aha moment about a handful of times that you go, God was there, God was there, God was was acting, God did this. I felt... I I would propose to you that the flurry of Holy Spirit activity has already begun in your life. And what needs to follow now for that incredible miracle that I've been talking about, whole new day, whole new age, whole new era in your life, is for a flurry of invitations and surrenders to be worked by you. Just know that when you do, that is like throwing gasoline on a fire. And God the Holy Spirit, who many times is depicted in Scripture as fire, will come and he will burn up some things in your past. And he will burn up some things that you were planning on holding on to. And he will purge you and he will replace many of those things. The things that are noticeably like God, noticeably like Jesus himself. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty good news, isn't it? That's really good news. And here's the deal. If you keep waiting, so will he if you keep waiting, so will he. But if today, today, you invite him, you listen for his voice, and you'll submit to his ways, oh, he'll come, he'll come running. And it's why in the Church of the Nazarene, while well, we recognize that it takes time for us to change, God will do things in a moment. God will say, well, then let's start right now. And today, before you leave this place, you can invite the Holy Spirit in and you will sense him in your heart and in your mind. That's what we mean by listening for his voice. You'll you'll feel the, the loving guidance and pressure. And today, you can begin to submit to his ways. You can start living a whole new kind of life by the help of God's Holy Spirit. But it will take a serious invitation first. I didn't, I didn't ask anybody to come and play music that kind of makes you feel all uh, on the inside. Because I don't want this to be an emotional response. Unless that's what you need, in which case, get all sappy, all right? But a determined response is what the Holy Spirit, not your pastor, what the Holy Spirit is looking for today. A determined response from people who say, I've had enough of what I once was. And what I once filled myself with. And I want a whole new day, I want a whole new era in my life, and I want it to be characterized by the work of God that makes me like Jesus in this life and in this world. And you can begin it today. I'm gonna to invite you to stand and let. come on stand unless you would like to come up here and kneel. And I know, in this day and age, listen, I went, I, when, when, I was, uh, when I was in college, I took, this, I took lots of classes about how to be a pastor. One of the things they told us is that, eh, you know, the, the altar was this thing that probably, you know, had its place in history and might, be, might, might not have as big a place among us anymore, and who knows. What, well, um, the guys who wrote the books are wrong. We're keeping ours, okay? And here's why. Because I have found that something happens in my heart when I take some actions that are symbolic. And kneeling is one of those things that everybody everywhere has realized um, is either a position of defeat or of chosen humility. And sometimes what my heart needs is for me to go "Uh," to my knees. Just break my knees a little bit and my heart suddenly busts wide open. I, now, listen, I've said this before. Um, I, we should have put them at the back of the church because when people come and kneel, it puts them in a really conspicuous position to the rest of the congregation. And, and I think that's necessary, though. See, forget my pride. Forget what I've been pretending to be. I'm going to be the person who kneels before God and people can think what they want. Now I'll tell you, most of the people around here, they're going to be thinking, at a boy, at a girl. It doesn't matter what they think. It's, it, it takes a kneeling of the heart, and many times the kneeling of the heart takes a kneeling of the body. I will also tell you that uh, we've got front pews open here because I know some people's knees don't work. It would break, literally break your knees. And you can come and sit there, or you can sit or stay. Listen, posture. Do what works for you to have the conversation with God, okay? Just know that this altar many, 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 times has has been the site of the meeting of the Holy Spirit and God's people in which he's done the work that I've, I've talked to you about today. So why don't you close your eyes? Bow your heads. Somebody wants to come to the altar, come to the altar. Somebody wants to sit on this front pew, sit on the front pew. You want to stay where you are, that's great. But understand this. The Holy Spirit of God has been active. He's been working. And he wants to do some work here today. And he will. If you'll invite him in, if you'll listen for his voice, and if you'll submit to his ways, let's pray. Lord, it's happening right now. I have sensed you working among your people and i'm and i'm seeing the fruit of it right now as people are seeking you i know you see what i can't and so there's people standing and seated back there in the pews in whom you're working too but i see these who kneel across the front who have heard the voice of your spirit are inviting him in and 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 begging you spirit do your work I want there to be a new me. I want there to be a new day in my marriage. I want there to be a new day in my relationship with my kids. I want there to be a new day in my work. I want there to be a a new day in which I experience peace because I've never had it before. I want a new day of joy in my life. All those things that, that seem to be part and parcel of the very character of God. I want them in my life now. And they're seeking them. And I ask you, Lord, to keep your word, what you have promised to your people, I ask you to do today in the hearts of each of these who are seeking you today. You said, you said, those who seek me find when they seek me with their whole hearts, and they're doing it today, Lord. May your great holy name be praised because you're the God who is not in a 400-year period of silence. You've broken the silence in this place today. I give you thanks and praise. Now I'll go quiet again, Lord, in case there's something that you want to say to us. We listen for your voice. Well, how about this, God? Since you have our attention, why don't you just keep it? Since you've got our ears, why don't you keep speaking for the rest of this day and wake us up tomorrow and do it again? Since you've got a bunch of surrendered hearts, why don't you do your sanctifying, changing, cleansing, transforming work? Why don't you make a new day for every person who has knelt before you and whose hearts are bowed before you? trusting that you will do what you have promised. Together we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, Some of these folks are going to want to continue to pray down here, and it's hard to do that over the roar. It's either beautiful or raining outside. You could talk there. Uh, There's uh, a fellowship hall in which we're going to have our prayer partners lunch. There's a foyer out there in which you could gather and and chat with your friends, but would you please just preserve the climate of prayer in this place? But as you go, understand this. The Holy Spirit goes with you, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. May you experience it this day and always. Amen.